You guys, I have recorded this intro like 25 times. So I first started by trying to sing to you guys. I thought, let me switch it up. And I, I can't sing, so I was like, they don't wanna hear that. And then I was trying to rhyme and nothing was coming out right, but I'm in a goofy mood and so I'm sorry. I hope y'all are here for it. I guess I just love podcast day because it means I get to hang out with you. It means that we get to learn together and I've got a great guest. So I'm even more giddy because I just know I re-listened to this and I just feel like you guys are going to love it. So listen to this. Okay. We're talking about culture. We're talking about leadership and see if this resonates with you. You may think you have a culture, but culture grows just like a weed will grow on a piece of ground that doesn't have anything healthy growing there. Culture will grow whether or not it's intentional. Boom. Those are some of the wise words of today's guest. So my guest is Bill Nye, and Bill Nye is the COO of Burger Rental Communities, and he's also a good friend of mine. So we met on the speaking circuit. We would go to a lot of the same trade shows and I got to watch Bill in his element, and Bill can command a room. So he has a presence about him, but he speaks with authority because he has been the head of many different uh, property management companies, and he's led groups, and he's created this incredible culture everywhere he goes. And I'll tell you, I have met his employees, and they all say the same thing about how Bill leads and how he leads with such integrity and intention and authenticity And he just cares. He cares about his employees and they can feel it. So I'm excited because this is like a working session where we get to hear the insights of Bill. So he's talking about how do we know what our culture really is like? And it's kind of a three-part question series that you can ask yourself. And how do we turn it around? He has a totally different opinion about setting rules and how rules actually handicap your employees. And then he even dives into when you have to let somebody go, which I always find is such a hard thing. But when Bill talks about it, it just feels like it just feels like the right thing to do when the time is right. So I can't wait for you guys to hear this. I want you to listen to this conversation with my friend Bill Nye. And listen, before we jump into that, I want to tell you, if you've been wondering how you can work with us at Sprout Marketing, maybe you're just struggling a little bit with your marketing or retention. I made a new video for you that talks about the five ways to work with Sprout. So if you go to watchyourbusinesssprout.com, you can watch my little video there. You can see how simple it is and see what would be the best way to work together. And there's options for all sorts of budget. All right, enough of that. Let's talk to my buddy, my friend, my mentor, Bill Nye. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast, a show for busy multifamily and real estate professionals that want to kick butt in their careers without sacrificing their lives or their sanity. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. So Bill, I have to tell you, I am so excited for this conversation when I was thinking about uh, talking on the topic of culture and leadership and what, what it really means for culture, you're the person that came to mind. And I think it's because not only have I heard you speak on the topic, but I've actually seen proof that you really get it. I've spoken to and met many from your teams in the past that you've helped develop into leaders. And so what I love and, and the type of guests I want to have on my show are those not that just talk about a topic 
but they really live that topic and they show proof of how to really bring that to life. So I just want to say welcome first to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you today. So Bill, you know, culture, we, we've talked about before, it seems like you can't go to an event or a session where people are talking about culture and it's almost become, I don't want to say kitschy, but it feels like it's what everybody talks about. Very few people seem to truly be living it or getting it. So can you kind of just kick us off and start that conversation on what does it mean really to have a culture? Yeah, that's a great point because you're right. Everyone's talking about it. Books are being written about it. And there are podcasts about it all, you know, every day. And it, it's really interesting that when people oftentimes will ask people about their organization, what makes it unique and always say, well, it's our culture. What they don't understand is that every organization has a culture. And when I say every organization, that includes every household, every home in America has a culture. And so you know, people, I, I don't think they understand that when they say, well, it's our culture. And then, you know, they have this idea that they have this winning, amazing culture. But then when you talk to their employees, their employees are incredibly unhappy. And, and so although everybody says, well, it's our culture. Yeah, you have a culture. But culture grows just like a weed will grow on a, on a, a piece of ground that doesn't have anything healthy growing there. And, uh, you know, and that's one of the things I often talk about is understanding, you know, the, the dangers of not being intentional. And taking time to step back and look at what you, the decisions you're making, uh, the way you're treating people, the things that you're doing, and how does that impact the culture? And, you know, I, I, that's, a, that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And I remind our team all the time that, you know, you can have good intentions. Every, most people have good intentions, but let's not judge ourselves based on our intentions, but rather on our impact. What is the impact of what we're doing? And I think if you think more about the impact as opposed to focus on the intentions, I think that it will help you to, to craft a, a much more intentional culture that will deliver the results you're looking for. Okay, there is so much good stuff that I want to unpack there. So first of all, just to reiterate, what you're saying is whether you choose it or not, there's, there's a culture already in your organization or in your family or whatever dynamic. Like it doesn't have to be intentional for it to exist. Is that right? That is correct. It, it, culture will, will grow regardless of whether or not it's intentional. So if someone's starting out and they're saying they think they have a good culture, you're also talking through that says rather than the intentions even of the leaders looking at the results, when can somebody tell if the culture is maybe off or it's not what they want it to be? What are some telltale signs? Yeah, there's a couple that are, I think, really easy to identify. One that I, I constantly look at is, uh, number one, what kind of people want to work for you? You know, and, and one of the things I often say is that everybody has their followers. Charles Manson had followers for crying out loud. Everybody has followers. The question isn't whether or not people want to work for you, but rather what kind of people want to work for you? Uh, you know, when I left an organization that I was leading in North Carolina and I moved to Virginia, about a dozen employees left North Carolina and moved to Virginia to continue to work with me. And I looked at the kind of people that wanted to come to Virginia and be a part of that organization. And they were the best people in our organization back in North Carolina. That's when, I left, awesome. when I left Virginia and came to Pennsylvania four years ago, the same thing happened. About a dozen people moved from Virginia to Pennsylvania to work with me here. And, and they're people who get great results and they do it in the right way. So what kind of people want to work for you? Number two, um, who do you lose? 
and why do you lose them? Because every organization has turnover. You know, I mean, we have turnover in our organization here at Burger Rental Communities, but rarely do we lose anyone where when I get the news they're leaving, I say, this one hurts. So, you know, we, we're really, really doing a good job of holding on to our, our, our core folks, um, our leadership team. You know, the, the turnover occurs at those folks who are fairly new, uh, low-level positions in the company that uh, really haven't had a big impact on, on the organization overall. And then thirdly, what are your customers saying about you? Okay, so those are three like kind of indicators. So someone might feel like it's an overwhelming task or a daunting task. And I think one of the things that anybody that attends your session, you're always giving them very actionable kind of principle-based advice. So what are some key things, some key factors that go into building this intentional culture that you talk about that has the level of impact, builds those kind of employees and really gets the results that a company's after? Well, I, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to avoid the easy traps. Here's what I mean by that. One of the easiest traps is that when things don't go the way you want them to go, you immediately establish a rule. Someone does something that you don't want them doing, now you make a rule that forces everybody to do whatever it is that you want them to do. Here's an example. We recently in our organization uh, went through a major software change. And our payable software is new. And we were having an issue with some of our managers not putting in POs. And so immediately, other folks in the organization said, well, we need to change our entire process. All invoices now must be reviewed and approved by the regional managers, regardless of the dollar amount, regardless of whether or not it's over budget. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hold on. Slow down. Why? Well, we have managers who aren't putting in POs. Okay, so what we want to do is we want to establish a rule that does what? Handcuffs really good people who already have a lot on their plate who had nothing to do with what's not working. And so that's the low-hanging fruit. And I see organizations do this all the time where somebody does something that you don't want them to do and you immediately want to bring in a rule that says, you know, everybody from now on has to do ABC. And instead of dealing with that one person or those few people who don't understand it, so, you know, we engage in a conversation. So, well, why aren't they putting in POs? Well, to me, that was an easy answer. This is a new software. They don't fully understand it. So then somebody said, well, let's just do company-wide training. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, why do we want to take 50 people who are doing it right, who have a million things to do, and force them to go through a training? And so this is how it often works is it snowballs and all of a sudden you, your culture becomes a culture of control where people no longer have the freedom to do what they think is best to make the organization successful because they're so burdened with rules that they can't operate outside of the lines. And so one of the things I think organizations need to do is they need to look at, you know, that their rules, if you will, and every organization has to have some organizational rules, especially where there are laws involved. And certainly in the multifamily industry, we have a lot of laws, landlord-tenant law, contract law, the Fair Housing Act. And you have to have some rules to make sure that people comply with those laws. But if you overrule your organization, you become a culture of control and you'll always lose your best people. So you can't, you can't just strip down the rules. 
because now what happens is if you just remove the rules, you have a barren piece of ground. And again, whenever you have a barren piece of ground, things will grow there, but they're never going to be the things that you want. So what will happen is if you strip down the rules, the strongest personalities in your organization will suddenly take over and they'll start forcing their will on, on other people. So what you have to do is once you strip back those rules, you have to replace them with something that's actually really good and productive. And in, in this case, what I've always done is I've replaced rules with standards because rules limit and restrict people. Standards encourage people. They, 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 they serve as a, as a goal, if you will, a bar to try and work really hard to get over. And I think anytime you can put something in place that actually encourages people to do their best as opposed to restricting them, I think you're ahead of the game. That is so good because I was just thinking, so let's say that you do for everything you put a rule in a way, the culture that you're creating also is that people never think for themselves. So you could fast forward six months down the road and start thinking, wow, these people don't know how to, you know, solve any problem, not realizing that you were treating the symptom, not the real problem. So I love, I love that you said that, that that's kind of a shift from rule making to setting standards, which helps people then think for themselves. Yeah, and, and what you'll find too is that if you're driven by rules, as I mentioned, you'll, you'll constantly lose your best people because your best people wanna feel empowered, they wanna feel trusted, they wanna feel respected, they wanna have some autonomy and rules don't allow you to do that. And um, so you're constantly losing your best people and replacing them with people who quite frankly, operate well in a world of control, but they're not free thinkers. So you become stagnant, you stop growing, you stop, you stop embracing innovation and new ways of doing things because everybody's just so bent on always following the rules. But then once you establish these standards, you've got to, you've got to train to those standards. You've got to engage in training people on why the standard is important, how to actually give them a fighting chance of actually hitting the standard. And so, you know, if, if you want to teach somebody how to high jump, you can't just take somebody, you know, out of the hallway of a classroom and say, go jump over that six foot bar. That kid mm-hmm. probably has no clue how to get over that six yeah. foot bar, right? So you have to train that and you have to, and, but, but Barbara, here's where, this is why companies don't do this. S- setting the rule, typically it takes a meeting, 15 minutes. We've established a rule, we can move on. But establishing really meaningful, impactful standards, it's really hard work. It takes time. And, you know, but I always say that nothing great is done in a hurry. No great meal ever comes out of a microwave, ever. And That's a great analogy. And I know you like to, you like to cook up a good meal here and there, don't you? And it takes time. It yeah. takes a lot of time. But it is so much better. And so that's why a lot of leaders don't want to engage in this type of leadership is because it's hard work and it's slow and it takes time. It, it is not a microwave style of leadership. You know, that training that kid how to get over that bar. But then here's the beautiful thing. When that kid gets over the bar, the third step or pro, step in this process is you then have to acknowledge it. You've got to be standing there ready to cheer and clap and pat him on the back and, and, and tell everybody else how great he was. And so for instance, we have a standard in our company for, for work order completion rates. And we do two things with that. 
One is if you hit that for the entire month, everybody at that team gets a bonus. There's a reward, but it's not always about the monetary. We then also have public recognition. We, any team that hits that on a monthly basis, they're called our top gun service teams. And then every year at our annual conference, if you maintain that number for the year, you get a pin. Just as oftentimes people get pins if they go to big sporting events and things yeah. like that. You get a pin that you get to wear on your on your hat or on your, your company shirt or your company jacket and, and uh, recognizing or acknowledging that you're a member of the top gun service team. Um, and then all of our awards at our annual summit are based on these standards. None of them are popularity votes. None of them are subjective. They are based on actual numbers of, uh, of accomplishment. So no one can argue and say, well, why did they win that award? Well, the numbers dictated that they won that award because they had the best number in the company. And so... I'm sorry, I'm smiling so big right now because I'm thinking about how something so small, we always think about having to do these massive rewards, but something so small can reinforce the culture that you want to have. And it's like everybody's aligned working towards the same core values, the same initiatives. And I just, I think that's awesome. You know, it's, it's exciting to go to a property and see a guy who's been on the service team uh, for four years, which is how long I've, I've been in my position with Burger and go to that property and see a guy on our service team or a woman on our service team. And, and she has four, he has four of those top gun pins on their hat or on their shirt. And, and that tells me that this means something to them. They're proud of that. They're, you know, and if somebody says, well, you know, what are those pins? Well, let me tell you, now they get to brag. I got over the bar, but then there's a fourth step to this. And the fourth step is you have to constantly uh, be willing and know exactly when and by how much to raise that bar. Okay. You don't so want to raise challenge a little bit. You're challenging your team. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to raise it so far that it defeats them. You know, the kid gets over the six foot bar and you say, now we're going seven feet. Whoa, yes. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> now, that, that kid knows I, I'm going to fail, but let's try seven feet, two inches. And so it's just enough of a tweak to where that kid says, I got this, I can do this. And, um, you know, so you have to constantly look at those standards as you put in place. And one of the things I always try to do is as we build these standards and we communicate them clearly, we train to them, we reward to them. But before we even do it, we, I like to sit down with, our, with the leadership team, with the key people in the organization, and really understand you know, what matters most to the customer and what behaviors do we need to exhibit on a daily basis to then deliver to the customer the things that matter most to, the, to them. And then those become, that becomes the framework for setting your standards. So when do you know when it's time to add that extra challenge to incrementally increase that with an employee? Because I know it's not I'm sure it's not an across the board type of thing. Like I'm going to this community and everybody now needs to be at this right. level. How do you, how do you kind of know that as a leader? Yeah. Well, it, typically it, when, when it becomes routine, when it becomes easy for them, they do it over and over. Here's an example. Um, one of the things that we measure in our company is economic occupancy. Uh, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to physical occupancy. It's important because you can't have high economic occupancy if you have low physical occupancy. But anybody can have high occupancy. All you have to do is be willing to lower your rents low enough 
to fill all of your apartments and lo and behold, you have high occupancy, but you don't have high revenue. And so when I introduced economic occupancy here at Burger four years ago, none of our managers had ever heard of it. It wasn't something that was ever measured. And um, so we just set a standard of 90% economic occupancy. And in the first month that we measured this out of our entire portfolio, only three communities hit that. Well, today we have 37 communities and on an average month, we have 30, 32 communities hit 90%. Well, 90% doesn't mean much anymore. Yeah. It's, it's like weightlifting. You know, the first time you bench press 200 pounds, you, you feel amazing. But then all of a sudden you could bench press 200 pounds 20 times. Um, so now the question is, can you get up to 250? Can you get up to 300? And, but you got to look at, you know, what's involved in this and, and how challenging is it for each individual? Because clearly everyone understands no two teams are the same. So that 90%, is, I mean, we have some properties, it is all they can do because of their, their, their resident base. You know, they have more delinquency challenges. They have more bad debt challenges. Um, you know, so it's all they can do to just get over that 90% bar every month. But then we have other properties where they roll out of bed and they hit 90%. And so you've got to understand that and make those adjustments. And it makes sense, like what I'm hearing from you, why there's so many people that don't want to offer this type of leadership, because every time you raise the bar for your employee, now you've got to come in and offer the level of support to help them meet that new challenge, right? That's right. That's right. Just because you raise the bar doesn't mean that they're capable of doing it. So you have to go back in and ask yourself, well, what additional support and training do they need to be successful? But in the end, and, and this is anyone who has ever worked with me will tell you that this is my sort of my, my, my rallying cry. I say this over and over and over. And that is we win together and we lose together. And when someone is, is struggling or they're failing to get over the bar, what can we do together to get them over the bar? Because it's a reflection on all of us, not just one of us. That's a real safety. I love that. I mean, that just builds like a lot of uh, trust in a team when they know that everyone is operating that way. Yeah, you know, it's, for, for me, probably the greatest moments uh, it, as a leader, uh, for instance, this past year at our annual summit, when um, I announce a winner for one of our, we, we call our awards Jimmy's um, to, uh, to honor uh, one of our co-founders who passed away about 15 years ago. Um, and so uh, when I announce the winner of a Jimmy and people who are competing against that team or that person jump to their feet, screaming and cheering and pumping their fists and applauding. And that says to me that we have the right level of competition, people want to win but we don't have so much competition that they'll hurt others in order to win. Wow, that's cool to see. And I bet we don't, we don't see that so often that there's that equal balance of encouragement, but they still, they, they still want to win it too. Yeah, you know, we, I, there's just such a disconnect, I think, in society where we just want to tear people down. I saw something recently, I believe it was on LinkedIn and I loved it. And, um, where someone said, you want to know how to uh, build the, the tallest building in a city? You do it by building the tallest building, not by tearing down the buildings that are taller than yours. And I thought that is profoundly true. 
um, you know, we're in this society where it's so easy, you know, this, this cancel culture that we're in, I don't, I don't agree with, with, with you or your view. So I'm going to call you a name that will cancel everything that you stand for. Um, and it's, it's an epidemic in my opinion. You know, we need more leaders who are encouraging people and cheering people on and then saying, Hey, you know what? You got me. You're better. You outperform me. Congratulations. And I'm proud of you. And that's hard to do. It, it takes a level of humility. And I don't think we do much in terms of teaching humility today. We want to, we want to, we want to teach everybody that, you know, you're special, you're the best, you stand out from the crowd, when in reality, they're probably very average, and they don't actually stand out in the crowd. But the only way to get my average person to stand out is to tear everybody down who's ahead of them. And instead of building them up. Yeah, yeah, instead of teaching them how to be better. So what do you do then, Bill, when somebody's out of line with, you know, you feel like you've put in this investment? I was thinking about when you talked about it earlier, and I have heard just kind of not, nobody says it outright, but I've heard with some leaders through what they're not saying that they don't put this investment in because turnover is so high. Why would I invest in this employee? They're going to leave. You know, they're, I mean, yeah. what do you say to that? Yeah. Well, you know, everyone has seen the meme that, you know, where the CFO says, uh, what if we uh, spend money training our team and they leave? And the CEO says, what if they don't? And they stay. <laughs> and, and that's just one of those things that makes us chuckle, but it's very, very true. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a unique philosophy. And here's what I see in business all the time. Um, the 90-day probation period. Where did that come from? What is that? So think about you and your husband for a moment. When did you and your husband actually become husband and wife? Was it three months after your wedding ceremony? <laughs> no. It was it immediately. Was, yeah, that's right. It was at the moment that whoever officiated your, your ceremony said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You are married, fully married. And, you know, I always tell people, uh, a wife or a husband would go, they would lose their mind if their new husband or new wife said, you know, and I know we just got married yesterday, but I'm not so sure that this is really the right relationship for me. So for the next three months, I'm, months, I'm going to continue to date other people. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but that's exactly what we do in businesses. We hire people and say, well, for the next three months, we're going to wait and see. So one of the things that I've always instilled is that when we're, when we're recruiting someone, we're dating them. And then when we go through the process of the interview process and we say, okay, they're the one we propose. When they accept our offer, we, we now have entered into a relationship. And the first day they walk through the door, they're not sort of part of the organization, kind of part of the organization. They are completely 100% as much of our organization as I am. So you and put I, a ring on it at that point. That's right. I put a ring on it at that point. <laughs> Treat them like I am all in. And it's amazing the impact that has on people because they're not used to that in, in, in business. But it makes sense if you think about it, right? Well, after you said it like that, it makes complete it makes complete sense because like you said, you would be on your, you know, on the edge of your seat always worrying you're gonna do something wrong, that this isn't gonna work, and not feel very vested in in the relationship. So I mean when you frame it like that, I mean it makes so much sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, a small example is when I first came to Burger with our uh, 401k program, you had to be here for a year before you could participate. And I said, why are we take, making people lose a year of investing in their 
their future, their retirement. Well, you know, it's not, not is our is is our uh, administrator making us do that? No, it was company policy. Well, that's a dumb policy. It says, well, you're not. We're not completely invested in you. So I changed that. Um, our administrator says they have to be there 60 days. I said, okay, then it's 60 days. And so now our employees, 60 days in, they can contribute to their 401k, and we're contributing or matching our portion of it. And you know, those are small examples where you got to look at this stuff and say, well, why are we waiting so long to invest in people? It sends the wrong message. It says, thank you for joining us, but I and I want you to be fully committed to us. But we're not actually fully committed to you. We're going to kind of wait and see how this goes before we, well, that's ridiculous. Uh, and, and that certainly doesn't work in today's environment. People want to know, if I say yes to you, then you're saying yes to me too at the same level of commitment. I, I think that's such an interesting point because we caught ourselves doing something similar that we corrected. Um, and it was something not with a 401k, but we have a lot of part-time employees. A lot of the work that we do, we love to employ, you know, moms that maybe still want to have time to pick up their kids in the afternoon, but we weren't giving them the same benefits that our full-time employees were, even though they brought tremendous value, they're incredible employees. And about, I think it's been about a year and a half now, we had the conversation that said, what message are we sending to our part-timers? And so that's something that we fixed, but it was almost like, we had to really look at what are the things that we're doing that we're not necessarily saying, but our actions are building a culture that like, we don't want our full-time employees to treat our part-timers like they're not valuable. We don't want our part-timers to feel like they're not valuable. Then why are we treating them differently? Right, right. Exactly. Why are you treating like they're less important? Okay, Bill. So this has been so, so good. I just have a couple more questions before we wrap up. I think you know, we do our best to hire to make sure we're, you know, the right fit. And I know, like you said, most organizations, they go in with the best intentions. What happens when someone isn't a fit for the culture, despite coaching, despite training? What's the best step? How do you go about when a relationship just isn't working? So that's a that's a great question. And accountability is, is another thing that I think we just completely get it wrong. Um, it, it's interesting that when you talk to to leaders and executives in, in, in any type of business, most of them will tell you that termination, in their mind, termination is a form of accountability. And I always say, no, it is not. Once we've severed the relationship, I can't hold you accountable, it's over. So termination is not a form of accountability. It's what you do when accountability has failed. And I think the key is to have, have a strategy or philosophy on accountability to try to avoid getting there. And so one of the things I constantly remind our leaders is that accountability should not make someone feel bad about their present, but rather optimistic about their future. And if all you've done is make someone feel bad about themselves, you're not holding them accountable, you're just being mean. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that if you have the right type of accountability where you that accountability is meant to make them feel optimistic. Okay, you know what? I see the benefits of doing it this way and I'm going to do better. You'll have, you'll have fewer occasions where you have to part companies, part ways with someone. It will still happen. And unfortunately, you know, it is always going to be a part of business. And when you get to that point, I think it's important that you always handle that with tremendous respect and dignity. Um, you know, you, 
do it in a way that where people and, and, and honestly, and I mean this with all sincerity and this and this may make some people roll their eyes as they're listening to this. But in almost every occasion where I personally had to terminate someone. After I did, they either shook my hand or they hugged me. They apologized and they thanked me. Well, wow. Why were they apologizing? Because they feel like they let me down. They just lost their job and they feel like they let me down. And why are they thanking me? Because they know I gave them every opportunity to be successful and they just didn't capitalize on that opportunity. That's incredible. And so, I mean, that takes a lot of, I think you said the word earlier, humility, and then also recognizing to still give people their dignity. Those were two things that really stuck out to me in this part of that conversation. Yeah, we're not living in the most dignified times. I think that dignity is so important. It's, you know, it's one of those, those attributes that we don't hold, you know, to the, to the level that we should. I think that it's incredibly, incredibly valuable. And uh, it's something I constantly talk to my leadership team about is, is cherish your dignity that never, ever behave in a way where people will question whether or not you have the proper level of dignity, you know, yelling at people, cursing, throwing things. I, I mean, we've all seen it. Oh yeah. And it's like, really? What do you yeah. pull it together? And, and it's interesting. And this is not meant to uh, disparage our organization in any way. But when I first came to Burger, that was the culture. It was weekly. I would hear a story of someone out in the parking lot or in the leasing office screaming and yelling at a coworker, cursing. And um, I made it known. We are going to shift this culture. We are not going to be a, a, a culture or, or a collection of people. I like to call us a society of people that treat each other that way. And if that's who you're going to be, this is the wrong place for you. And a lot of those folks, they kind of self-selected out, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. And you know what you said? It, it, it's, it happens more than we'd like to admit in our industry. I, I was at a conference years back and I remember their CEO got on stage and was going through a pretty rough divorce and he got on stage and he said, you know, I just fired my wife. And if any of you don't meet your standards, I don't mind firing any of you here with a, with a little bit more colorful language. And uh, you felt the energy. It was like a balloon deflating in slow motion of the room. And I, I thought, would, is this real life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, you know, we had a, a lady a couple of years ago left, uh, was moving out of state and we were doing an exit interview and she was so valuable and such a great employee. And I just loved her dearly. And uh, I'm typically not a part of those, uh, but I wanted to be there just because I wanted her to, by my presence, made a, you know, send a, a statement of how impactful she was. And um, I remember the last thing she said to me um, as I walked out, we met at the Starbucks and as I walked out of that Starbucks and she said, in my many, many years in property management, this is the only company I've ever worked for where no one ever cursed. Wow. And look, you know, I'm not a Puritan. This isn't about, um, you know, that, that level of morality. It's just about dignity and respect. And, um, you know, I, you know, one of my jokes is when uh, people say, excuse my French, I always say, it's actually not French. It's really bad. You should stop blaming the French for your inability to articulate your thoughts and your feelings without relying on cheap English. Yeah. 
True that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bill, is there anything else that you think you want to leave everybody with? Any other takeaway? I feel like this has been what I love. It's been so tangible things that we can immediately kind of go back and give ourselves almost a grade. How am I doing? How am I leading to this culture? But is there anything else that you feel you want to share before we wrap up? You know, I, I, again, I think the important thing is just remember that every organization has a culture. And if you leave it to, uh, uh, to chance, you will always end up with the culture that you don't want. And it will always be driven by the person with the strongest personality. You know, I think about my, my childhood growing up. My mother, um, I, I love my mother. She's still with me today. She's, uh, she'll be 81 this year. But my mother uh, has quite a temper. And growing up, we were all we were afraid of of um, you know doing anything wrong because of her temper, and so our I grew up in a culture of fear, and and one of the things that people forget sometimes is that people will follow you out of fear, but for only so long, and as soon as an opportunity comes to escape the fear, they will escape the fear. That is so. I mean. When you were saying that, I was thinking about that, how a company can fall or rise by the, the strongest personality in the room. And, and that's, I mean, that's a lot of food for thought there, because if we don't like the results we're seeing, it's because of one choice after another that we've allowed or that we've participated in. And it's not always the person with the CEO or the COO title. Sometimes it's somebody, a controller, um, you know, someone in the county department that has just a strong personality that just just goes into a fit of rage and everybody in the organization is terrified of that person. Yeah, everybody's making their decisions based on, hey, don't don't make Susie mad or don't make, exactly. you know. <laughs> exactly, right. Which is why I'm not a big fan of tenure awards. You know, a lot of companies, that's like their big thing is like, let's honor Susie. She's been here for 20 years and Susie goes up there just a hateful promotion and everybody's like, and they honor her because she's been here 20 years. Well, why has she been here 20 years? Because everybody's afraid of her. Poor Susie. Susie, if you're listening and you're a wonderful person, we know not every Susie's terrible, but that's my true. goodness. That's right. Just like arbitrary choice. Oh yeah. You're so intentional about your leadership. And so one question I'd like to kind of wrap this up with and, and ask is, you know, in everything that you do, every the legacy that you're leaving, the, when people think of you, I'd love to know if there was one word that you would love for when people think Bill Nye, when they think about you, what's one word that you would love to come to mind for those that maybe you've led or those that you've been, had a significant part in their life? Yeah, wow. Um, that's easy for me to answer, uh, genuine. I, you know, when I'm presenting on stage, um, I always want to come across as genuine. Um, you've seen me on stage and sometimes I say some of the dumbest things. It, it wasn't planned. It just came out of my mouth and I, I laugh at myself when I do. And, um, you know, I, I just think that people are drawn to people who are genuine. And I try, you know, when I tell someone I care, I tell them I care because I really care. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to go into any of these things because they're self-promoting, but, um, you know, when people are hurting, uh, being there, even if it means spending eight hours in the car to get there, um, those are the things that, that people always, always remember. And so I've just, you know, I've always tried to be very genuine in my, my compassion, uh, my sincerity in terms of caring about you, wanting the best for you, um, you know, delivering the truth, 
but always deliver the truth in a way that's respectful and polite. It's, it's direct, but it's respectful. And um, I, I think that people, people look for people who are genuine. And I have to say, as a friend and as a colleague and someone that has been at many of your sessions, I think that you do that incredibly, incredibly beautifully, very gracefully. I was at that same NAA session where it was so chaotic and you were talking about culture. There were a couple of ladies that were uh, standing next to me and they were going on and on. They're like, he's just so relatable. And he's so, and I was just, I was kind of like eavesdropping on their conversation. So you can feel that energy. And I mean, you're, you're working your way towards every single day being one that is that way. So I think that's, I love that word for you. Well, thank you. So Bill, for people that want to know more about you, maybe some of the things that you offer that you speak on, how can they connect with you? Well, they can go to my website, which is a .net website because I let my, my um, website expire and that other Bill Nye jumped on it and grabbed it. <laughs> it's uh, BillNyeTraining.net. For years, it was BillNightTraining.com, but like I said, I let it expire for like one minute. And, you know, there is another Bill Nye that's almost as famous as me. Really? <laughs> yeah. He, he told me one time, he's so tired of people asking him about apartments. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> they think he's me. Um, <laughs> but they go to BillNightTraining.net, um, or they can, they can certainly uh, find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm very, very present on LinkedIn. Um, it's just under my name, uh, Bill Nye uh, Cam, um, for Certified Apartment Manager. So they can certainly find me on LinkedIn. I know you and I uh, converse on LinkedIn, and I do with a lot of people. So that's certainly one way they can do it. Well, this has been an honor. I know people are going to absolutely love this session, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me and to share all your knowledge. Well, thanks for having me. It was, it was a, a lot of fun. It's my first ever podcast. Oh, I love that, that I get to add that to my notch. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bill. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. Wow, you guys. Wasn't that amazing? I hope you have tons of notes like I do. I want to share one that just stood out to me. When he said, we've established a rule, we can move on, but establishing really meaningful, impactful standards, it's really hard work. It takes time. And you know, I always say nothing great is done in a hurry. And then my favorite part no great meal ever comes out of a microwave, ever. <laughs> and I have to say, amen to that. So you guys, everything that we learned about culture, this is a time, especially with how our teams are being taxed right now, this is a time to really look at who wants to work for you, who do you lose and why, and what do your customers say about you, and just ask yourself, am I rule-driven or am I standard-driven? So together, we can be better when we implement all of these things that we're learning from people that really are experts in their field and have kind of paved the way for us. So that's it. That's another episode of Marketing Home, marketingyou.com. If you like it, leave me a review. Let me know that you've enjoyed it and tell your friends. I want them to come hang out with us. All right. See y'all next week. Adios.